All right. Divine judgment, lesson number seven. I may have another two or three left in me. Uh, so we'll see how far this thing continues. I'm also rapidly writing Godly Parenting Part 2 because that keeps bubbling up in me. And so we may follow on the heels of this by teaching on more godly parenting. And I'm writing stuff that I'm excited about, but we're still working on divine judgment. So let us look at this. Passive judgment part two, we're calling this blessing and cursing, and that'll become evident as we uh, advance this lesson this morning. So passive judgment part two. We have defined passive judgment as the calamity, chaos, frustration, and destruction that befalls a person or people when God's defense is removed from them. We looked at that very thoroughly last week, and we had a lot of aha moments when we could see this concept that is referred to as hedges or walls and defenses, and that is established very thoroughly in the Old Testament, and so we can naturally bring that over to the New Testament. And so we define passive judgment as what happens to your life when one of those defenses falls. And it doesn't have to be the whole wall like Jericho falling. It just has to be one little hole. And that's where all the forces of darkness are directed. Consequently, if the whole wall falls, you get hit from every side. And so we kind of concluded last week by saying, if you are suffering calamity after calamity after calamity, if you feel like you're going through a Job experience, then you must, like Job, look for where the hedge has fallen and where the enemy has access to you. Uh, to be balanced, we all fall under darkness from time to time, and it's not our doing. It's not our fault. It does rain upon the just and the unjust. And we understand from Paul's list in 2 Corinthians chapter 10 that there was a lot of stuff that befell him for the gospel's sake. Perils of robbers, a night and a day in the deep. But those things were for the gospel's sake. And Colossians tells us, as well as other of Paul's epistles, that if we suffer for righteousness' sake, usually at the hands of people, happy are we. But there's a difference between suffering for righteousness' sake at the hands of pagans who are demonized, attacking you for your faith, and you're all alone in sin, and your boss fires you, and your wife leaves you, and you're getting on this issue, and you got that problem, you're having sleep apnea, and your health is going down the hill, your money's going down the hill, your kids are rebellious. That's nobody working against you like a persecutor. That's your sin causing walls to fall, and it's all your fault. We don't say that to condemn you. We say that to alert you. Wake up, and as the prophet said, make up the hedge, make up the wall. So let's keep reading here. Calamitous, I call it calamitous passive judgment because even as I was writing this, I said, I got to talk about positive passive judgment, just the favor of God coming upon you. So I've got a few more lessons because there's, there's a positive and negative to all both aggressive judgment and passive judgment. But calamitous passive judgment is only possible when the hedge of divine protection surrounding a person, family, or assembly is compromised, allowing for chaos and harm to rush in. Again, we're just reiterating and reminding ourselves of these truths. Another term for passive judgment is, quote, the curse. And if you have spent any time in the Old Testament, you should be familiar with that. We are living in a day where most Christians don't study the Bible, period. Christians that do go to church probably have a greater opportunity of going to a seeker, passive, mamby-pamby church. So what they're being taught is definitely not the full counsel of God's Word. And you're just, we're working in a day where two-thirds of the Bible is ignored. And only the positive of the New Testament is emphasized. 
And so we have to be students of the entire counsel of God's word. Remember, when the New Testament was written, there was no New Testament. So for a good, solid hundred years, all Scripture was Old Testament. And all Scripture that built the church was Old Testament. And when Paul said, you have been made wise according to the Scriptures, and they have made you wise unto salvation, he was talking about Genesis to Malachi. All Scripture is given for exhortation. It's inspired of God. He was writing about the Old Testament. And so, thank God we have the New Testament and we have Pauline revelation and, and, and New Testament doctrine. But that wasn't available for the first hundred years of the church. And yet the church thrived with miracles, signs and wonders and revival. And so it, it, I just say all that to say we should know the Old Testament. Don't listen to these modern hyper grace heretics who say that's all been done away with. Just go murder somebody and you'll see it's not been done away with. Just go commit adultery or have sex with a dog. You'll see it's not been done away with. All right. There's, we have to understand and rightly divide the word of truth. We're talking about the curse. A curse is any event or object contrary to the provision of God guaranteed by his covenant. That is loosely what the Old Testament means when it uses the word the curse. A covenant is a solemn agreement between two individuals. And I think we understand that, but I, I gave the definition just in case we're not familiar. Biblically speaking, God's covenant with man contains many conditional promises, many conditional promises. Those are bless, both blessings and curses. Blessings are promised for those who keep the covenant while curses are promised to those who break the covenant. Now, one of the famous preachers in the Lamb, he's, he's known for holding his Bible up and saying, this is my Bible. I believe it's God's word. I believe I can have what it says I can have, which he always infers blessing. But it also means cursing. You can have the curses of God too, because that's a promise of God. Somehow in the last 30 or 40 years, we only emphasize the blessing. And so I was just telling somebody before service, we somehow have come to believe that all, all God is capable of doing is being good to us. And that's lunacy. But that is, that's how you market a better gospel, which is not the gospel. Because if it's not the whole counsel of God's word, then it's in, in fact half, half lies. So if we're going to say, I believe I can have what it says I can have, that includes curses too. Blessings are promised for those who keep the covenant, while curses are promised to those who break the covenant. Technically, both blessings and curses are promises from God. They are part of any covenant because covenants have reward policies and cancellation penalties. <laughs> and we just, man, we just think this is a one-way street with God. All he can do is be good to me. No, he is a righteous judge. He hates sin. And he rewards the wicked. All you have to do is to get into sin and watch how rapidly your life will fall apart. <laughs> Deuteronomy chapter 11, verse 26 through 28 says, Behold, I set before you this day a blessing and a curse. Once again, God demonstrating how absolutely stupid mankind is. <laughs> because it is a A-B selection. It's 50-50. It's really just two choices. And he sets the answer before him and the choice before him. A blessing if you obey the commandments of the Lord your God, 
which I command you this day, and a curse if you will not obey the commandments of the Lord your God. This has not been done away with. This has not been done away with. All, listen, on your job, all you have to do is break a Ten Commandment and you'll be fired. That's a curse. When you can't make a paycheck to feed your babies, you're cursed. All you have to do is vandalize your neighbor's property and you're cursed. This is spiritual law set forever in this age. So there's a lot of teaching that says all that's been done away with. Really, how would you feel if your wife cheated on you? Would you feel blessed? How would you feel if your teenage daughter got pregnant at 13? Would you feel blessed? No, so there's all this heresy that talks about these things have been done away with. And yet God still says, I set before you life and death. Choose life. I set before you blessing and cursing. Choose the blessing. A blessing if you obey the commandments. In fact, that's what James says. Blessed is the man that does the word. Blessed is that man in his deed. Or a curse if you obey not the commandments of the Lord your God, but turn aside out of the way which I command you this day to go after other gods which you have not known. So he sets before us blessing and cursing. Under the Old Testament, passive judgment would naturally occur when someone broke God's covenant. That is, the wall of protection would come down because the, the, the terms and conditions of the covenant were, you serve me, I protect you. You serve me, your enemies will be at peace with you. You serve me, I'll bless your field, I'll bless your city, I'll bless your trough, I'll bless your kneading, your dough kneading bin. I will take care of you. If you start breaking my commandments, I start leaving you. That's how simple this thing is. In fact, Balaam knew this. He knew it before it was even spoken because he's demonstrating it in the book of Numbers. This is Deuteronomy. Numbers is about 30 years before this. And he says, I cannot curse Israel because God has blessed them. But I will tell you, Balak, what you can do. Teach Israel to sleep with your daughters and to worship your God. And God himself will destroy them. That was how common knowledge this was that Balaam, a soothsayer from Mesopotamia, knew how this thing worked. As long as they're sin-free, I can't lift a finger against them. But if you will entice them through sin to break their commandment and their covenant, God himself will destroy them. That's how it works. Fornication and idol worship. Two biggest sins of today. Fornication and idol worship. Our idols don't have Buddhist arms or faces, they have things like hobbies and sports and offense, and we, we get it. Idolatry is of the heart. <laughs> when a covenant with God is broken, the associated hedge of protection is also broken, and a curse is permitted to enter. One need never fear the curse as long as they keep their terms of the covenant. A covenant is terms and conditions on both parts. Even to this day, in Tennessee state law, in American state uh, government law, uh, to be a legal contract usually has to have seven points of qualification and it has terms and conditions, it has limitations, it has pluses and minuses, and that's all based on biblical law. Proverbs 3.33 says, The curse of the Lord is in the house of the wicked, but he blesses the habitation of the just, the upright. So that's a good promise right there in the book of Proverbs. 
The curse of the Lord is in the habitation of the wicked. How do I resolve that? Stop being wicked. <laughs> Dr. Barclay calls it demon bait. Quit living a life that produces demon bait, and demons will quit coming to your home. What is demon bait, Pastor? I'm so glad you asked. Dirty movies, dirty music, dirty hobbies, gossip, slander, cussing, rudeness, hostility, any chemical addiction, cigarettes, alcohol, all these things draw demons. All of them. You can pick up some little totem in the bush of Africa, bring it home, and it'd be demon bait. Uh, I heard a story, missionaries, actually Brett's friends, Pastor Brett's friends in Uganda. It's nothing to go to the curio market anywhere in Africa and pick up cool museum quality pieces of hippos or totems or what have you. And this great uh, missionary couple out of Seattle, actually, they, they went to the market and picked up just something they wanted to decorate their missionary home with. And bad stuff started happening in their house. And they knew these weren't tongue talkers either. These are just good old denominational missionaries. And they realized it came with that totem. There's some kind of voodoo hex, some kind of juju on that totem. So they just got rid of it and all the bad stopped. I, and I, I got to stop because I'll get to telling stories. I remember Brother Hagen talking about um, when his son, Ken Hagen Jr., Ken Hagen is in heaven, Brother Ken, Kenneth Hagen. His son, Ken Hagen Jr., is now almost 80, uh, mid 70s. So this has been a long time ago. This is 70 years ago because Ken Hagen Jr. was about five. They were out in Salt Lake City and they toured the Mormon Tabernacle. Uh, if you've ever been out there, it's impressive. It, I've toured it, uh, it's impressive architecture. But they said they were taking a tour because it is a touristy thing. But Mormonism is a cult founded on demonism. Joseph Smith was a demon-possessed former Methodist. Anybody having 40 wives in the 19th century was demon-possessed. Joseph Smith was lynched. That is, he was shot publicly in the stomach by people because of a bad newspaper dealing. What kind of prophet has a bad newspaper dealing and gets shot over it? Anyway... It's now this big worldwide cult with billions of dollars in investments. Ken Hagen Jr., being a little boy, probably between my son's age and Abigail's age, my daughter's age, um, fell and started having seizures. And, if, and the Mormon Tabernacle is a giant walled city in downtown Salt Lake, Salt Lake City, Utah. And you have to go through these giant gates to get into it. And so Ken Hagen Jr. falls down and just starts having seizures. Well, this is the height of the healing revival. Brother Hagen has cast this demon out and dealt with this numerous times. Seizures are nothing to him. And he says, I began to rebuke this demon and cast it out, and it didn't work. And the word of the Lord came unto me and said, it will not work here. You are on the enemy's territory. And he said, we had to pick him up, carry him outside the walled compound, lay him on the sidewalk of the street, rebuke it, and it instantly stopped. Pretty trippy story. Amen. All right, we got to keep going here. This proverb perfectly summarizes God's covenant with mankind. Blessings for the righteous, but curses for the wicked. We don't seek God for his blessings, but when we seek God, they do come on us and overtake us. We seek the God of the blessing, not the blessing of God. We are not selfish in this thing. Amen. Proverbs 26.2 says, As the bird by wandering and as the swallow by flying... So the curse causeless shall not come. 
That's one of my favorite verses when it comes to calamity. The curse causeless shall not come. I have learned over 25 years now of watching Christians suffer horrific things. There's always a reason. The curse causeless does not come. And if you'll scratch, probe, inquire, ask God, or do some investigatory work, you'll find they open the door somewhere. And that's why we never judge God by Grandma Edna's experience. Well, my Grandma Edna was a holy woman. She was a praying woman. How come the Lord to take her with the cancer? Uh, you need to adjust your doctrine and figure out what was really going on. Maybe Grandma Edna had unforgiveness in her heart. Maybe she was a praying woman, but a gossiping mama too. You don't know the curse causeless shall not come. This is the Bible. You can excuse it all day long using as many of your human experiences as you want, but we don't base doctrine on human experience. We judge human experience based on the doctrines of God. New Living Translation says, Like a fluttering sparrow or a darting swallow, an undeserved curse, an undeserved curse will not land on its intended victim. So this points out that there are deserved curses. And there are undeserved curses. This is why we teach you to invoke tithers' rights and say, Lord, I'm a tither. The devourer is rebuked, Lord, and you said that was your job. I tithe, you rebuke. So I command my car to run longer. I command my roof to last longer. I command health to be in my home. The devourer in every form is rebuked. That's your job, Lord. I kindly, humbly remind you, my job is to tithe, and I am a tither. Proverb confirms that the curse doesn't just randomly or unjustly fall upon the righteous. If we get nothing else out of these lessons, it should be that we judge ourselves and see if something's happening, what did we do? Again, going back to my story where my wife was robbed at gunpoint in the ladies' bathroom of the largest Assemblies of God church in Indianapolis. We went home to the hotel room that night after dealing with the police. My wife is shaken up. Lydia was only 11 months old. I'm angry. I have a pistol in bed with me. And I'm in a safe hotel room, but I'm still angry. I'm not afraid. I'm angry. And, and my anger is not with God. My anger is that this thing has happened. And I'm applying all this. I said, Lord, you know I hate this city. You know I don't like coming here. You know I was looking for every opportunity not to come back to Indy. You know I don't like that church. You know how they mistreated me. 10 years ago. You, you know I don't tolerate this city because of the corruption that's here and the, the way I was treated the one year I spent. You just know my heart. I'm sour on this city. I didn't have to come. And yet I sought you and I had peace about coming. I didn't even want the peace. It's not like we just willy-nilly drove to Indy to see family. If, if I'm going to Indy, I'm looking for every reason to not go to Indy. God, and I said, God, you could have given me 20 opportunities and I would have gladly obeyed them. And yet you didn't warn me about this. And I'm a tither and I'm holy and I serve you and I live for you and my wife lives for you. And this happens and it's contrary to my doctrine and we don't deserve it. And the Lord said, and it's a biblical experience. I was like, no, it's not. <laughs> and he instantly took me in my Bible to the right hand margin where 2 Corinthians chapter 10 is right halfway down the page where Paul says in perils of robbers. I knew instantly where it was on my Bible because I've read it so many times. And he said, it is a biblical experience. And then he said, and if nothing bad ever happens to you, you'll never know my divine hand of protection. And I said, and you, but you said no evil shall befall me. And he said, and none did. All right. 
I guess I'll shut up now. Because the, the thug, and by thug, I mean thug, when you put a gun in the face of a woman, regardless of any color, and she's holding an 11-month-old baby on the table, you're a thug. You're on drugs. He stole about 60 or 70 bucks, and the church gave us 100 back in return. So we made money on that deal. But that's not a good way to make money. Anyway, <laughs> as the New Tra Living Translation reveals, curses are deserved. I judge myself in that situation. What did we do here? Did I miss you? Did I miss God? Were you telling me not to come? And the Lord had to confirm to me very supernaturally by the word of the Lord that if nothing bad ever happens to me, I'll never know his divine hand of protection. So not that we want miraculous testimonies, but... I've totaled every car accident I've ever been in, or the, both cars have been totaled except for one car accident, and I've walked away from every one of them. And it's not that you want to be in accidents, but the last car accident I was in, it totaled, and I saw angels' hands go up to protect my face, and I remember <laughs> looking in the car, getting out, and I'm like, well, here's another car accident. We've totaled both cars, and I thought, I'm invincible. I am invincible. I'm invincible. I heard uh, Pastor David Jeremiah, who's a great Baptist minister out of California. He just I was listening to him preach in Chattanooga a couple weeks ago on the radio. He said he used to struggle with fear of flying because he was a younger minister with kids and, and he was terrified he didn't want to die and leave his family without him. And he said an old preacher told him, the man of God in the will of God is indestructible as long as God is using him. The man of God in the will of God is indestructible as long as God is using him. So that's part of this. That's, that's a Baptist way of saying you have a hedge of protection. As long as you are the man of God or the woman of God, that means holy and clean. But the second you start sinning, God owes you nothing. Amen. You've broken his covenant. He is free to step away from you. This proverb also seems to confirm the existence of a protective hedge. Just by implication, there's this hedge of protection. So let's look at examples of passive judgment. And I hope you appreciate the work that went into this chart. Because to study these scriptures and to try to produce correlating terms, and uh, uh, this is probably a good 20 hours of work right here. Leviticus 26 and Deuteronomy 28 list both the blessings and the curses of the Mosaic Covenant. Israel spent approximately one year at Mount Sinai receiving uh, the laws of Moses and learning how to walk in it. The book of Leviticus chronicles the year spent at the base of the mountain and the new laws given. Leviticus 26 records the blessings of obedience and the curse of disobedience, which is also recorded in Deuteronomy 28. Now, I've taught you this before, but I'll say it again because you need to grasp it in your mind as you study your Bible. Leviticus 26, excuse me, Leviticus is the one year at Mount Sinai when the Ten Commandments are given. And so there are approximately 100 and about 200 laws given between Exodus and Leviticus. There's another 50 or 57 given in the book of Numbers, which covers the 38 years they wander in the wilderness. And then in Deuteronomy, which is the second giving of the law, the year before they enter into the promised land, Moses goes over all the law again and adds new ones and expounds old ones. Okay, And so between 
uh, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, you have about 612, 611 laws of the mitzvah. That's 613, but there's two other laws taken from Genesis. One of them has to do with be fruitful, multiply. The other law is they don't eat any meat of the hip and sinew because of Jacob's touched angel, angelic touch. So those are two laws of the mitzvah not contained at Sinai or in Israel as a nation. But other than that, we're, we're fine. What we see is curses and blessings in Deuteronomy, excuse me, Ezekiel 26. And then 38 years later, when they're about to go into the promised land, Moses expounds upon all those curses. And if you look at the top of our chart, you'll see that Ezekiel 26 lists 25 verses of curses, but Deuteronomy 28 doubles that. And it's not that he adds any there, it's that it goes into greater detail about what it looks like to be cursed in the city, what it looks like to be cursed in the field. He, where it was very general in the beginning of the Exodus, at the beginning of the 40-year wandering, right before they go into the promised land, Moses says, I want you to take me seriously. This is how bad it's going to get if you go stupid. Okay? When God... Um, Let's see. It is in these curses that we can see passive judgment as part of God's covenants. When God turns his back upon a person or people and no longer favors them, chaos begins to unfold in their life. Consider the promises of Leviticus as compared to the expanded list of the same promises in Deuteronomy 28. And the other thing I've done with this chart is I've added what, where America is at because there is a theological debate mostly between the conservative evangelicals and the progressive evangelicals, progressive secular Christians don't want to believe in the judgment of God. They, they refuse to see that America is under judgment, but they don't hold any kind of doctrine of judgment to begin with. And most secular progressive Christians are all about social justice anyway and not biblical evangelism. They're not interested in going door to door. They just want to love your neighbor. And love your neighbor can become social justice very quickly. But we are still people of the kingdom. I'm not marching elbow to elbow with the LGBT people for free rights anywhere. I am not fellowshipping with demon-possessed people to bring about any kind of good. That's not what I'm called to do. I'm not compromising. Shall I sin that grace may abound? God forbid. If my lie is counted as sin, why, why am I yet judged? Or if, 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 my, if my lying causes good to come of it, why am I yet judged a sinner? As Paul asked. So I have compared, I put kind of America's testimony in comparison to these covenantal judgments. And we'll just, we'll see a few things and there might be some we can add. So let's look at Ezekiel. We'll just kind of go across this chart from left to right. Ezekiel 26 talks about terror, consumption, and sorrow of heart. When hedges are broken, you become fearful of everything. Consumption, you just waste away in terror, sorrow of heart, depression. Uh, Deuteronomy confirms it, madness and astonishment of heart. And I would say in America, we're at 30% mental illness. We don't dwell peacefully in our own borders anymore. And those flames are fanned by media, social media, academia, and Grandma Edna. Fevers that will waste your eyesight. Deuteronomy calls it blindness. Uh, we don't really have a correlation that I would want to speak to for America's testimony. Your enemies will consume your agriculture, which e equals wealth in their days. Deuteronomy says, He shall eat the fruit of your cattle and land, leaving you nothing. 
And today we see we have trade wars, a shrinking gross domestic product, and a national debt at $26 trillion. We are $26 trillion in debt, and it was just like 10 years ago, we were only $10 trillion in debt. So even our debt is exponential. And what do you think the last three months of COVID-19 has done to us? And then, of course, unemployment as of this recording. We are at 30% unemployment. America's 30, 30 plus million, 40 million Americans unemployed because of COVID-19. A virus that is proving to be nothing. One of the headlines I saw coming out of the UK when they're working on a vaccine, it says, they, scientists are saying, this disease is disappearing too quickly to make any test trials worth anything. Wait, you're admitting COVID-19 is disappearing? I thought, I thought we were killing off half the population with it. But even the researchers trying to find the vaccine are saying it's disappearing too quickly. We won't have any meaningful test trials. <laughs> your enemies will kill you. You'll be smitten of your enemies. We could, we could maybe list wars on that, but most of our wars, we've gone over there to protect other people. We've gone over there to stop the spread of communism. We've gone to stop the spread of communism in Southeast Asia, on the Korean Peninsula. Uh, we went into Japan. We pushed them back, and we delivered China, the Philippines, Thailand, and Southeast Asia there with not much thanks from any of them. Shed, you know, half a million boys in the South Pacific. Went across into Europe to deliver our founding father's lineage from Nazi Germany. Uh, those folks are still a little thankful. I, I had one guy at British Airways tell me in London, he helped me a lot. And I, I said, uh, he was helpful. I said, hey, I appreciate it, mate. I apologize about that Revolutionary War. He said, hey, you don't have to apologize for that. You helped us in World War II. I said, fair enough, fair enough. <laughs> Those that hate you will rule you. Your children will be given to another people. You shall serve your enemies. And uh, I see right now the progressive movements in academia move to eliminate parental influence. They hate us. So we're seeing that maybe as a correlation. Your children will be given to another people and you shall serve your enemies. You'll flee for no reason. Deuteronomy says you'll flee seven ways. Uh, right now we are pretty cowardly uh, in a lot of our activities in the earth. The pride of your strength will be broken. That means... Uh, the pride of your strength. I mean, what makes you great as a nation will be broken. You'll, you won't be as confident anymore. Deuteronomy says only, you'll only be oppressed and crushed always, and you'll be mad for the sight of your eyes, meaning what you look upon will drive you mad because you can do nothing about it. And to that, I just see that American exceptionalism has been declining for decades. America is not as revered or respected in the world as it once was, even though the rest of the world still wants to immigrate here, here in Western Europe, here in Europe, period, one, uh, an Indian academic out of the UK published an article recently saying, if the West is so wicked, why does the third world want to immigrate there? And this is an Indian. The heavens will be iron and the earth brass. Deuteronomy inverts it. The heavens will be brass and the earth iron. Basically, God and the earth will do nothing for you. We might be able to say that's kind of where we're lurching as America. God and the earth will do nothing for us. Your farming will be, will, uh, your farming will be unproductive. No rain. Deuteronomy says no rain. Locusts, worms, uh, they'll, they'll consume you, and crops and olives shall fail. 
Our agriculture is still pretty strong, but we are, we are chemicalizing the fire out of it. Uh, yeah. And then at the same time, our government does pay our farmers to plow crops under and dump milk out. Even before the COVID-19, they were still wasting and destroying a lot of crops, which I don't understand the economics behind that, but somebody could explain it to me. Wild beasts will kill your children and cattle. That does happen, but it's not like an epidemic. Your highways will be desolate. COVID-19 certainly emptied cities for months, didn't they? The sword of violence will come upon you. You'll be smitten by the sword. Inner city violence, domestic violence. We got a lot of violence in America. Pestilence will come to your cities. Pestilence and now new viruses like HIV and now COVID-19. Your fault, you will fall into the hands of your enemies. And let me just pause kind of halfway through this. None of this is God striking the nation. This is everything that's just kind of coming in because the divine hedge of protection kept all this at bay. But once those walls began to crumble, all this began to come to pass. America didn't know this stuff. We were always successful in our wars until Vietnam. Vietnam was the war right there when the hippie rebellion exploded. And for the first time in our nation's history, parents were hated by their children. And in the same season, we, we approved abortion. Abortion led by Republicans. Republicans are the ones that promoted abortion in the 60s. Not Democrats. Now it's the Democratic swan song. It's amazing how things turn and we forget about that. It's amazing. Right there in the late 50s and the 60s, all this rebellion hit America. And from that point forward, we've been declining. Our, our defenses have left us. We're trying to engineer solutions. When seeking God is free. You'll fall into the hands of your enemies. I just list all the scriptures that say the same thing in Deuteronomy. Now we have terrorism finally on domestic soil on a regular basis. We don't even see the news anymore for all the COVID-19 and now the race riots that are taking place all over our nation. That even this last weekend, a woman, a jihadi woman, I think in Ohio, charged a police officer with a knife after they shot her husband, who was a jihadi, and they had to shoot her and kill her. And it's all on closed caption TV. It's on CCTV. You can just go search. It just happened the other day. A woman in a full burqa with a huge knife coming at a cop just the other day, I think in Ohio, and they had to just draw down and kill her. And she wanted to take one of them out. But that doesn't make the news anymore. Your food supply will be broken. Blight, heat, drought, and strange nations will eat your food. COVID-19, our food supply has been broken. Never have I been to Walmart with empty shelves. No meat, no ramen noodles, no beanie weenies. Lots of fruits and vegetables because that takes too much work to prepare. And I did notice last time I was in Walmart the other day, the, um, the snack food aisle, the sweet, you have the potato chip snack food aisle near the back and the sweet snack food, that thing was stocked to the gills. It's like they made a whole aisle just for fat people food. Dr. Barclay calls it pig food. And I was, Look, just look down at just freshly stocked. Little Debbie made a special run. And little Debbie, she's making trillions of dollars. She's a wealthy little girl. <laughs> Your food will be rationed and you'll always be hungry. 
you'll be besieged. That means surrounded and your food supply cut off. We have experienced that with COVID-19 because of the international food trade being locked down. We couldn't export. We couldn't import. A lot of our beef comes from overseas, strangely enough. A lot of our crawfish and shrimp comes from Thailand and overseas. All of it held off. And so now it's hurting our own food supply. I think, if anything, this will force us to be more independent. But then again, there's more money to be made in foreign trade. But what do you do when tankers and cargo ships are held off bay because they can't come into port because everybody's afraid about a mythical virus? You will consume your children. Parents, even the delicate woman, will eat their children. That's summarized in one verse in Leviticus talking about the siege of Rome and Babylon. Uh, but it goes into four or five verses of detail there in Deuteronomy 28. Parents will eat their young and won't even share it with a brother or sister. Literally, cannibalize their children, their babies, their infants. And Deuteronomy says, even the most delicate woman among you, whose feet has never touched dirt or rock, it says. That's a very dainty, prissy, girly girl. She'll eat her own baby. And of course, we abort 4,000 babies a day in our nation. We've hit 100,000 deaths in America with COVID-19 in three and a half months. But in the same time, we've aborted almost half a million babies, which is an increase of five to one. Cursed in the city, cursed in the field. Your basket will be cursed. Your kneading trough will be cursed. The fruit of your body will be cursed. The fruit of your land will be cursed. Your herds will be cursed. Your flocks will be cursed. You, you'll uh, be cursed coming in. You'll be cursed going out. You will experience cursing, confusion, and rebuke in everything. To me, that just says you just don't, you just don't prosper in life. The most sin-filled communities of our nation, those people just can't get ahead in life. Whether it's poor poverty white folks in backwards Appalachia or blacks in inner cities. These are some of the most sinful, debauched areas of our nation, and they can't get ahead. And it has nothing to do with racial animus. Because plenty of white folk prosper, plenty of black folk prosper. And the most prosperous people in our nation are East Indies, India. They have the highest per capita of any people in our nation, and they're all immigrants. White people are like number 18 on the list. I feel like the chips, the cards are stacked against me. Pestilence will cleave to you. Wasting disease, fever, inflammation. Uh, by the way, if you fight any of this sickness, I would name it and rebuke it. So this, look, inflammation, arthritis, joint swelling, fever. This is not me. Mental illness of confusion. This is not me. I'm a tither and I serve God and I'm clean and I'm holy. Heat, drought, blight, mildew. The boils of Egypt, tumors and incurable soul, sores. Uh, you'll be unsuccessful in everything. <laughs> Is that any of you? I would seek God for where you have torn that gate down and allowed the enemy to devour you. You'll be oppressed, robbed, without help. The rape of your loved ones. More specifically, you'll get engaged to a woman and another man will rape her before you guys can be married. 
Rape is still an epidemic in America. Robbery and theft of personal wealth. Your livestock will be forcibly taken from you. Sounds like communism and socialism. Your children will be enslaved to porn, video games, obesity, mental illness. Boils on your legs and knees. You will be despised among nations. Americans' reputation isn't as sterling as it once was. Foreigners will rise above you. Immigrants have the highest per capita income in our nation now. If immigrants, who almost all of them are not white, if they can come in and prosper, there's not a problem. If they can come in, work hard, make a sacrifice, start a business and prosper, there's not a problem in upward mobility. There might be a problem culturally with some homegrown culture. There might be a problem in between the ears of some people, but there's not a problem in getting ahead in this nation. In New York City, a bulk of the cab driving medallion tokens are owned by Indians. And it's like half a million dollars. It takes half, I think half a million dollars to buy one of those tokens that allows you to operate one taxi cab. And in less than, I think, 40 or 50 years, Indians have immigrated to New York City and bought up over half of that, which I, I have a book written by an Igbo Nigerian economist who talks about this. And he says that the wealth is like a combined wealth of over a billion or $2 billion of Indians coming to America with nothing, living with relatives, working hard to become taxi cab drivers and have pushed out all the other traditional taxi cab drivers just to work hard and get ahead in life and to do it as an immigrant and to do it legally. Foreigners will rise above you. Foreigners will lend to you. We could easily say we, we're heavily indebted to the Chinese, and now they're saying most universities are owned by foreign entities. Fearful plagues, prolonged disasters, lingering illnesses. You know, it's like from one tornado to the next tornado. Lingering disasters from tornadoes to COVID-19 to race riots. What's next? We had murder hornets there for a little bit. I didn't actually see one. The hornets were protesting, saying we don't appreciate the stereotyping. <laughs> the disease you fear most will come upon you. Hypochondriacism is such a plague in our nation. Fear is the flavor of our day. Every kind of sickness and disease will come upon you. We have the most advanced medicine in the world and one of the most sickest populations. Leviticus says desolation. Deuteronomy says your population will decrease and the American birth rate is decreasing. Our population is shrinking because nobody wants to have children anymore. We're not being butchered to death. We're just calling it reproductive freedom. And I don't want to be burdened with three children or four children. And what will it do to my body? It will bring your soul joy when you're old and wrinkly anyway. Scattered among the heathen, you'll be uprooted out of your country. Faintness of heart, you will find no ease, no rest, just anxiety, broken and despairing hearts. And of course, we talk about mental illness. You will be given no assurance of life. That's a promise of God. You sin against him. Your life, one translation says, you will, your life will hang in the balance and you won't know what will happen day to day. Americans are plagued by hopelessness today. But those of us that serve God, we declare, man, with long life will he satisfy me. No evil shall befall me. I know the covenant of my God. 
Amen. I really feel sorry for lukewarm, backslidden Christians. These are God-promised events that would rush in to Israel once their national hedge was compromised. Leviticus promised an escalation of calamity four times. Four times in Leviticus. He says, I will punish you seven times more. And then he goes and lists a bunch more uh, judgments. Curse escalation is further confirmed in Deuteronomy 28 when the curses culminated with invasion, slavery. I got something wrong here. Something's been deleted. And basically, your, na- your nation was d- dissolved. I got to go back and figure out what happened there. In the hedge grows. That doesn't make any sense. <laughs> Let's see if it got... Anyway, it's supposed to say something like, it's culminated with invasion, slavery, and national dispersion. You're just gone. Uh, the larger the hedge, the larger the hole in the hedge grows, the worse life will get. All of this is designed to move the believer back into right standing with God through repentance. The problem is so many Christians have a very high pain threshold. And they keep saying it's not that bad yet. It's not that bad yet. I can always repent tomorrow. I can always find God tomorrow. It's not that bad yet. And America is this way. America's saying it's not that bad yet. What we need is another think tank. What we need is another committee. What we need is another march. What we need is another protest. What we need is a cure. What we need is a vaccine. What we need is a a, a philosophy. What we need is a community outreach. And that's just man trying to fix the hedge without repentance. And it's pride. The key is, can you recognize when God's hand is against you and your, head is bro- your hedge is broken and now you are, you're the victim of the enemy? Psalm 78, 34 says, When he slew them, then they sought him, and they returned and inquired early after God. Uh, the basic Bible translation says, When he sent death on them, <laughs> then they made search for him. Now, obviously, they weren't dead. You can't search for God when you're dead. But death, death coming into your family, death coming into your industry, death coming into your family, death coming into your marriage, death coming into your body. They turn to him and look for him with care. But as we make the point around here a lot, why would you stop seeking him? And now listen, this Hebraism that says search for him early doesn't mean, oh, I found him, tag up and then run away. That's, that's what it meant to walk with God. You seek him daily. You're not seeking him because he's lost. You're not seeking him to find him and say, oh, I found him. Let me scratch that off. That's how they would describe serving God and walking with him, seeking him that you may find him. That's an Old Testament phrase. So when it talks about they would search for me and inquire of me early, it means they would come back and start living for me again. That's how we'd say it's live for God. And that's confirmation that part of passive judgment is God's abandonment of sinful man. Hosea declared, they shall go with their flocks and with their herds to seek the Lord, but they shall not find him. He hath withdrawn himself from them. And then verse 15, he says, I will go and return to my place. This is the Lord speaking. I will go and return to my place till they acknowledge their offense and seek my face. In their affliction, they will seek me early. That, of course, assumes you recognize the pain of the pig pen that you're living in. And you're tired of eating husks with manure on them. 
and you're tired of being faint with hunger. But God says here, I will withdraw from them and they won't find me. And I wonder how many folks that's happened to. They cried out to God like Samson and he wasn't there. The other translation says, they will go with their flocks and their herds in search of the Lord, but they will not see him. He has taken himself out of their view. And the Lord said, I will go back to my place till they are made waste. In their trouble, they will go after me early and will make search for me. God says, I will just hide myself and let waste fall upon them. That tells us, it confirms the New Testament says he maintains all things by the word of his power. And the second you and I withdraw from his presence and withdraw from serving him, he withdraws the word from us. And the power that maintains all things around us begins to break down and things begin to enter in. I think we can understand this concept. Grace doesn't cover this. The New Testament says, for this reason does the wrath of God come upon the children of disobedience. He wrote that to a New Testament tongue-talking church. This stuff still happens today. We can all testify of it. If grace covered everything, there'd be no reason to ever repent. And you could live any way you want to and be mightily used of God. And if grace covered everything, we'd never cast demons out of Christians. But in my experience, 95% of the people I cast demons out of are tongue-talking Christians. I had to go to Uganda to meet a pagan possessed of a demon. All the folks I found were Christians in America that had demons. I thought grace covered everything. Didn't cover that demon getting in on you. When God withdraws his presence, things in our life will begin to fall apart. It's a pretty simple spiritual law. Walking with God ensures that his presence and favor keeps our lives whole. Choose blessing not cursing. Amen. Let me add this. Uh, maybe you've heard Logan's restaurant has completely gone out of business because of the whole COVID thing. They're, they're bankrupt. They're gone. And so we have one here in town. And it was evident after about three or four weeks, they no longer claim that place because the grass grew up. Even the building is beginning. They just painted it. They just remodeled it. And the fact that their owner just stepped away and said, I can't afford to take care of it anymore. You see the natural process of the world. Reclaim it. You and I can both put our minds to it. If nobody touched the corner lot down there on Interstate Drive where Logan's is, within a few months, trees would grow up, weeds would grow up, somebody would break a window, a bird would fly into it and break a window, and we would see the natural course of the world when its owner had abandoned it. And when you and I sin against our God and he walks away, we get to receive the natural course of the world because he's no longer putting his energy into us because we demonstrated to him we were no longer interested in putting our energy into us. Same principle. The natural is a reflection of the spiritual and the cross of Calvary did not stop it. I remind you, God didn't get saved at Calvary. He didn't change at Calvary. That's where we get saved. And that's where we begin to make our changes. 
Amen. Father, we choose blessing, not cursing. We choose the law of God. We choose the grace of Jesus Christ, the real grace, and we choose the power of God. Help us, Lord, to know nothing but your promotion and your favor and not these curses and this divine judgment against us. Father, judge us and judge us in favor of you. We love you, Lord, and we we rededicate and recommend our lives to you today. In Jesus' name, amen.